0: Welcome to MintCast, episode 152, recorded live on March the 11th, 2013. I'm Rob, and this is the latest start we've had in some time, as the guys in the IRC are quick to point out. We are not up to our normal par, but it's going to be worth the wait. Trust me on this. Tonight on the podcast, or this week on the podcast, I should say, are, of course, Scott, he's always here, but not always here is our good buddy russ from linux in the ham shack so we're uh we're kind of doing what sort of a, a double header a back and forth uh quid pro quo um uh, yeah, so i don't know what you call it so uh, uh anyway um that's what's going on this week so we got russ with us so i'm going to start with scott because it's not fair to start with the guest to kind of put him on the spot right away so uh Scott, you've been uh, keeping busy this week. What have you been up to, my good man?
1: Uh, well, as you are well aware, here in the states, it's uh, tax time, and or it's getting close to tax time, and so I uh, I spent my weekend taking my first pass at my taxes. I'm I'm one of those foolhardy folks who tries to do them themselves, and uh, that takes a lot of time and uh generates a lot of frustration so didn't didn't enjoy that a whole lot and uh, beyond that i i don't know the rest of my life is a blur right now because uh because of that so <laughs> that's my... well you know it,
0: so normally i've had somebody do my taxes probably oh for i don't know how many years now because when we moved down here from canada of course these u.s taxes are way too complicated so i said all right i get somebody else to do them This year, I actually decided, and I shouldn't say this on the air because the IRS is probably going to audit me now that they know I'm going to do it, but I got onto the TurboTax thing online, and that was surprisingly painless to go and uh, and do that. And I'm not finished yet, but I got got a goodly way through it and figured out where everything mostly goes, and uh, it didn't seem to be all that bad. It's not actually all that much worse than... uh, than having then all the stuff I had to get together to have the
1: professional do it. So yeah, I've done. I've used TurboTax for years, and you know, this t- we should get them to sponsor the show because uh, yeah, no yeah. kidding. <laughs> and I found it 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 does make it it's a heck of a lot easier. If I had to do them by hand or was using the the paper forms or any not using preparation uh, software, yeah. I'd I'd take it to somewhere else. So
0: it'd be impossible. Yeah, yeah exactly. No way you could even do it. Yeah. So so. Uh, Russ, what have you been keeping busy with uh, this week? I was was listening to your dulcet tones as I was driving home, and the uh, the car tonight, so I know some of what you've been up to. But uh, how are things in uh, North Central Arkansas? They're quiet. They're yes,
1: yeah, very like, very, could,
0: like, like very
2: a, quiet. Like quiet. i Oh. yes i'm i'm here i'm here honest yeah there he is he was
0: thinking i'm sorry we don't do that on this podcast yeah we don't
1: talk over our guests
2: see unfortunately i'm having to guess with you guys because your audio is dropping out for me and i don't know if i need to restart or something but i am having a world of hurt here
0: yeah it was, it's daylight saving time i think we haven't blamed that yet and bill and i suggested that earlier uh, that we blame daylight saving time
2: Let me reboot Mumble and I'll come back to you guys in a little bit.
0: All right, all right. We can. So we're gonna have Russ back a little bit later. We're gonna
1: continue on when Russ. uh, Yeah, go give Russ time to come back. So, Rob, what about you? What's been keeping you busy this week?
0: Well, this week um, I finally did what I was have been promising to do for two or three weeks now, and that is um, recreate the uh, the world famous uh, mint based. podcast streaming box Uh, so i I took the instructions that that you had put up on on our uh, working space here and uh, dug in and and uh, first went into i would this is the the, my lmde box is the one that is being uh, sacrificed on the altar of podcasting and so i went in and and ran the mint backup thing uh, just like it says to on the mint website it says yep just go run this backup thing then you can install it so uh, so I did that ran the mint backup copied all my files onto an external drive and then I got thinking well you know why don't I resize that partition I'll just kinda scrunch it down a bit I bet I can squeeze enough space out of it that I can actually get this install in. so I started up the uh, mint 13 XFCE install and uh, and first thing I told her, okay, shrink that partition down and sure enough, I got myself, uh, oh, maybe around 14 or 15 gigabytes free and in two spaces. So it combined them together happily and I said, okay, install that puppy on there leave the, leave, so I left the LMDE um, uh, image right there the way it was. Installed MINT 13 and then went back over and of course when I rebooted into it, it's got a million different installations that, that are there. So I went in and cleaned off the LMDE off the other drive. And all the, the files are there so I didn't have to actually move anything, I didn't lose any files in the process. I mounted that, that disk as a data, uh, just, just did an auto mount as data and i've got a shortcut in in my home directory and, and so that's where i'm streaming to that or I'm recording to that um, external partition so that got me mint 13 xfce installed without losing any of my data so i didn't have to go the backups at all and then started into the long involved process of getting the the streaming uh configuration set up and uh, pretty much did uh, what um you had what we had talked about on the podcast uh was it just last week we did that my goodness sounds like <laughs> it feels like forever ago now it's 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 a lot more than that anyway um so just uh I built that back up and and i think i have what is almost a streaming device ready to go um i think so we stopped short of of trying it tonight because it's uh completely untested i'd I did connect to the stream yesterday and, and then listen on another box. And sure enough, I could hear myself talk and it scared me to death. So I figured, okay, I got to not do that. But so that's what I've been doing up, doing all week. So I now, no, I no longer have my uh, long lasting LMDE um, notebook. I have a Mint 13 uh, notebook that sort of now looks like it's a halfway between, um, I think, Mint 13 and KX Studio. I haven't quite figured out what exactly I've got, but that's what I did. So, for better or worse, I don't know. Uh, don't know where we're going to end up. So we're going to have to try this one of these uh, one of these days.
1: Absolutely, uh, we'll have to give it a test, and then uh, and then uh, make it run a live show and go from there.
0: Yeah, run the live show. But I, I made all the parts work. I played bumper music into the stream. I I actually recorded a uh, an imaginary uh, two minute podcast where I played the intro music and then I blathered on mindlessly like I normally do. And then I played a transition and I blathered on a little bit more. And then I played the, the outro and recorded it all on another machine and, uh, played it back. And it actually all seemed to work at the stream. So we'll see, uh, we'll see whether all of that stuff, uh, Good. All of that stuff actually works in production. Cer- so that's what I've been up to. Yeah, it
1: certainly sounds like he had more success than than Russ is having.
0: Oh yeah. Russ is having a rough time. He tonight, really right? is. Um so first he was wrestling with uh with Mumble and now it looks like he's wrestling,
1: wrestling with Mumble. Our, yeah.
0: Is that what it is again? Mumble still? Yeah.
1: Um he was having audio issues. He couldn't he said our audio was dropping out and uh
0: yeah, and, well, Bill, mi said that my audio just cut out a, a minute ago. Is that did that cut out for you too, or was that?
1: Uh, a no, I think thing? what happened is you went. Um, I thought it was just a quiet thing. I heard you all along, so I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Uh, you yeah. know, then we had the, the stream drop, and yeah, so crazy stuff tonight. <laughs> I really think we've got the. Uh, I think it's uh, daylight savings. The, just as, as – They're, they're
0: Franken Studios after us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess. Yeah.
1: So, well,
0: I'll tell you what. We're going to give Russ a little bit of time to uh to have the uh, the hardware gods smile upon him. And uh, I I think he's probably out there in Arkansas killing a chicken to be able to cast the bones just just correctly. So, uh, hopefully we'll be able to get him back. Um, you know, if, if if Russ's audio doesn't work out, Scott, this is going to be a long
1: podcast, I'm telling you. Well, we could shorten here. it up. It doesn't. It only has to be as long as we make it.
0: I suppose, yeah. I guess we don't have to talk for an hour and a half just because we have nope. talked for an hour and a half. Nope. All right, well, we'll come back to Russ later. Let's uh, see what we got in the news for this week and see if there's anything, anything going on. So our first news item this week uh, comes to us, thank courtesy of Morton on on Google Plus. And uh, if you haven't been over on our Google Plus community, uh, go check it out. And uh, when you do go check it out, check out the uh, the link that uh, Morton posted uh, entitled GNOME Co-Founder Explains Why He Dumped Linux for Mac." And when you go check that out, you'll re- you will understand very quickly why I am referring to Morton as Morton and not any better than that so my apologies morton i'm i'm not even going to insult you by making it a, a feeble attempt yeah and this it, is the the disadvantage you have with dealing with americans i'm, I'm trying uh, to remember
1: if you gave me any grief for playing uh the mp3 last week so
0: <laughs> yeah i'm not going to try he didn't send me an mp3 so uh we're going to go with morton and hope for the best anyway that none of that has anything to do with the news story which is about uh um, Miguel de Casa, and we had talked about him, uh, some time back. Uh, he's the, f- the founder of the GNOME project. And, um, certainly I know him, uh, better as the founder of the Mono project because I've, uh, a, have done some C Sharp programming and, and so was using, was very interested in Mono on Linux for that reason. But in any case, um, the, the email or the, the, Article he put up comes from an Infoworld, and it says that he's revealed that he dumped Linux months ago in favor of macOS, citing fragmentation and incompatibilities among the various Linux versions as the reasons for his switch. Um, and he's quoted as saying, "Linux never, just never managed to cross the desktop chasm." Um, and so he, this is he's writing this on his uh, a personal blog. Uh, which we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. the The actual blog article that he entitled "How I Ended Up with Mac," and the interesting thing about this, uh, you know, he he says, well, he invested a lot of time in the Linux desktop, used it for GNOME, and then did his own projects and uh, was pushing the idea of of what he calls dogfooding, which is, I guess, not his um, not his term, but it's the notion of. You use the tools you build to use the tools you build to build the tools you use, sort of thing. Um, and so he did that for quite a while. and then um, he went on a vacation and decided, okay, I'm only going to take them back because I really need to learn to use this machine. Um, said and I want to read this paragraph out of his blog because this is exactly what uh, I think is is slowing linux Linux adoption down. Um, He says that computing-wise, that three-week vacation turned out to be very relaxing. The machine would suspend and resume without problem. Wi-Fi just worked. Audio did not stop working. I spent three weeks without having to recompile the kernel to adjust this or that, nor fighting the video drivers, or deal with bizarre and random speed degradation that my ThinkPad suffered. While I missed the comprehensive Linux toolchain in userland, I did not miss having to chase the proper package for my current version of Linux or beg someone to package something. Binaries just worked, and so I think this is an interesting story because this, you know, this is what separates a consumer operating system from a hobbyist operating system, and I think. Um, because as being a bit harder on Linux than I would have been uh, because I think that uh, Linux is a bit better than that in terms of its consumer support but it certainly uh, requires uh, a bit more care and feeding than something like Mac does uh, or well not, Windows I don't know is maybe somewhere in the middle but I know the Mac just you have to do very little with it if you're just gonna use it now I think you can probably do more with Linux if you decide to, but if you don't want to do any of those extra things, then it's hard to argue against what what he's saying. So he he said the Mac just worked, and that's why he uses it. Um, what do you think, Scott? Um, this we argue about this all the time. That does it just work? I want my computer to just work.
1: Yeah. So you know, one th- as far as the story is concerned, <clears throat> you got to consider the source and you know we've talked about miguel quite a bit we talked about him when he broke off he uh and mo- broke mono away from uh open from the susa folks from novell and started up uh Zemarian. very quickly it became clear and if you look at the history of what samarian did or what he was doing prior to that and when he started that company they very quickly said you know we're going to take Mono and we're going to focus on Android and um, iOS. And nowhere in that conversation was was Linux. And he's been, you know, the, the fact is he's been moving away from Linux for some time now. And I, I like subscribe to his Twitter feed. I read his stuff and it's not in there at all. Now, his pedigree is is superb. You know, obviously, this is the guy who started GNOME way back in the day. Uh, but he's hasn't been involved with it for some time now. And, you know, my feeling is he's been chasing uh, money. uh, And there's nothing wrong with that. He started a business based on the the technology on Mono, and he's been chasing um, those dollars in in his company for a while. And he sees those, you know, maybe rightfully so in in Android and iOS and and obviously not on the Linux side and, and in open source. And so my feeling is that, more power to him if this is how he feels i don't think it's an accurate reflection i think there was you know he there's the the money line in there uh about um being an epic fail or something to that i can't remember exactly what it was but i read this article and i just it sort of it almost made me want to unsubscribe to his twitter feed and i've been following it a little closer uh just because of this story and this story's been out in the news for about a week now um and i just he's he's really made it clear that he's done with open source. He's out of the movement and he's, you know, he'll take what he can take um, at this point to, to enrich whatever products Zemarian trying to put out. But as far as um, being someone, you know, it's that whole thing too. If there's a problem, either you're part of the solution or you're part of the problem. And he's sort of made that move. He's again, his pedigree is awesome, but he's not contributing on the, to, to open source in a meaningful manner now and to go ahead and write an article like this, a blog post. He knows people read this stuff, uh, in yep. essence slamming the state of the Linux desktop when when I would argue that there are distros out there that are more functional and uh, work out of the box more effectively than ever in the history of Linux. Um, so,
0: so part of what I think is going on here is the way that he used Linux. Um, because, you know, I really believe that if you take any of the, the sort of modern distros, take Ubuntu, you take Mint, um, less so with Fedora, but not very much less so, but you take any of those and you just install it and use it as a even as a software development environment, but don't use it as a kernel development environment. I think you would find that it's about the same level of stability that you'll find in in OS 10 or in, in Windows. See, I wouldn't
1: necessarily make that claim just because of the fact that Apple is controlling every piece of that that experience, and they've always uh, done that. You know, down to you know now it's get it's with iOS as compared to uh, OS 10. You know, they're controlling what you can actually load onto it, uh, even in, as far as third party stuff. So I wouldn't necessarily make that claim, but um, I think you're right in terms of, you know, he, he makes a statement in there about, um, you know, things breaking all the time. And honestly, I, things, I update. That doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. It happens now and again. Yeah. Things stop working. Um, but I think that's, that's turning into more of, you know, myth or, or FUD when you start talking about Linux. Yes, there is a possibility that you could load some stuff and it will break other things that are on your machine. But it just doesn't happen it's 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 it belongs in the same category of, uh, of the stories people tell about yo know, you have to install everything from source you got to you know compile your kernel to run Linux no you don't you know as we yeah, all know no, that's true. and stuff just doesn't break that off and so I, I don't know I just don't put a whole lot into this news story I think it works well and and we have you know we have a tenuous link between our, our news stories tonight and so um, I think you know this is a good lead-in <laughs> You know, as as we mentioned, as as Rob mentioned at the beginning, Miguel was uh, one of the founders of Gnome, and uh, we have so our next.
0: Scott, let me let me interrupt you, uh, and let's let's do do a Russ check. Have we have we got a Russ anywhere in the building? Is there a Russ anywhere?
1: He looks to be there, but he's very quiet. Seems
0: to be there. He's not saying much. The electrons are still stuck between... I think I'm here now. And the, oh, oh, there he
2: is. Am I loud enough or not loud enough?
0: You're good. You You're good.
2: good. All right, it sounded good. Excellent.
0: From the chat, it sounded like you might have an opinion on that decaza story.
2: Um, yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I would like to say that I've taken Linux Mint and I've taken the Linux version of Mumble and I have taken them out back behind the house, shot them both in the head and uh, laid them out in an open grave so they can be picked at by crows and cats and anything else that happens to wander by. And the fact that I am here now talking to you and I, was, I am a part of this program is because I am now using Mac OS, which, by the way, just works.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, but I'm echoing again.
1: Well, the, you're going to have guy, to cope with that. Says <laughs> Mac OS Mac, Mac OS ten echoes. So there, there you go. Well, That's
2: Linux perfect. echo too, and you both know it. So don't <laughs> no, let anybody no. be, you know, uh, <laughs> Never heard it. it's not a ruse here. <laughs> yeah. Mac OS X works at least as well, because now I can actually talk to you guys.
1: All right. So our next story is that Linus has switched back to the GNOME 3 desktop, So this is like, um, I don't know, it's like watching the Royals over in Britain or something. I don't know exactly how, you know, it's, this is a story you'd find in People magazine or something that uh, the, what desktop is Linus using now? Uh, I think we talked last year about how he was very unhappy with the GNOME developers. And I think there were statements like it's an unholy mess or something like this to describe GNOME 3 and he started using xfce he used that for a while and then he made a much publicized foray into kde and used that for a while i had heard he had gone back to xfce but i couldn't find the story where that was so i can't confirm that but now uh via google plus he's come out and said that he is actually using the gnome 3 desktop again and he's got a couple extensions that he's using to make it palatable for him uh, and, you know, we've talked about, uh, well, first off, you have Cinnamon, but we've talked about the relationship of Cinnamon and GNOME 3 uh, desktop extensions and how uh, some people feel that Cinnamon is just a, you know, could be the functionality in Cinnamon could be met using GNOME 3 extensions. But uh, the couple that he uses are called Frippery and then obviously the GNOME tweak tool uh, to get the, the desktop where he wants it. So you know who knows how long this will last. Um, Will we will be uh, glued to our um, RSS feeds and Google Plus, waiting for the next announcement uh, as to which uh, desktop he's using. But that segues us really nicely into our next story, which is that Linus has come out and said that he loves his new Chromebook Pixel. So. he got his hands on one of these things. I don't even know that they're for sale yet. And these are the Chromebooks that are going for about $1,200. Um, they have a ultra-high resolution, um, so they have a beautiful screen on them. They're just packed full of uh, uh, hardware goodness. You know, nothing like uh, the one that I talked about last week, which has an ARM processor. I think, I'm not sure. I think these might have x86 processors in them. But um, they're they're really, I think they, they were developed to show what uh, Chrome could do and what a high-end Chromebook would look like. I don't necessarily think they're supposed to sell a ton of these things or you know they're going to measure success whether they do or don't. But Linus has got his hands on one, and he really uh, enjoys it. He actually makes the statement, um, uh, he, it, there's a quote here, one thing the Chromebook Pixel really brings home is how crap normal laptops have become. Why do PC manufacturers even bother anymore? And you know he's
0: you know he really needs to just say what he thinks. I know but he's, he's, he's got to stop holding back. He really it's
1: does hold back right. a lot, and uh, it comes to he actually comes out and says that he um, he's running Chrome OS on it right now. He hasn't put um, what he calls a real distro. Uh, I expect to install a real distro soon enough, um, and so that'll be interesting because one of the things that uh, that I've heard is. He's gonna. They're gonna struggle a bit with the resolution because the resolution is ultra high. It's not like a nineteen twenty by twelve hundred. It's um, geez. I probably would have been a would have been good to have the specs on this box up. But it's like in twenty five hundred by something, and um, it's gonna be tough to to display that. It'll be interesting to see uh, if if he posts or anybody else posts about the different experiences. I talked about trying to put um, uh, distros on a on a Chromebook. And actually I think we got something in the feedback, um, that we're going to talk about that as well. Cause, uh, one of uh, merely Jim, who's a friend of the show and writes in all the time, uh, got himself a Chromebook as well. And so, um, you know, these, but these are much, uh, the resolution on these things are much lower than, than on the pixel. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, how that goes. And I would assume that you, you'd make the assumption that he's going to take that hardware and do whatever he can with it. Uh, but again, the, We talked about the fact that the pixels run secure boot as well. So, um, but I imagine he's got the he either knows how or he's got the people who can help him to uh, to um, to hack the BIOS so that you can uh, because secure or not secure boot um, core boot core boot will um,
0: core boot so that he's not having to deal with uefi on that box. No,
1: not at all. And Core Boot basically yeah. just bootstraps and then it'll hand it it can hand it off to something else that'll load a payload. So I think there's one called C boot and um and you can use C boot to load just about anything you want. So you can actually write um even with the Chromebooks that we were talking about last week, you can actually write the operating system to the SSD that's in those um boxes and um totally to replace Chrome OS. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with this one.
0: Yeah, it's one of the things I noticed in, in looking around at, at these pixels in the last little while is that people were talking about, yeah, this may be down the road, one of the few ways that you can actually buy hardware that doesn't have UEFI on it um, is to buy one of these Chrome, Chrome boxes. Yep. But you might want to think about not doing that. Um, our next story comes to us from ZDNet and is entitled Linux Triumphant, Chrome OS Resist Cracking Attempts. Uh, so Linux, once again, it says, has proved to be far more secure than most other operating systems as Google's Linux-based Chrome OS shrugged off its attackers at the $3.14 million ponium cracking competition. So uh, $3.1415 million. Ring a bell for anybody? That's pi, of course. It's pi million. Uh, anyway, so uh, I guess that doesn't mean anything to anybody but me. Um, so the the uh, Chrome web browser on Windows, of course, is breakable, but uh, it says that the it, this is the Chrome OS that proved essentially uncrackable at Kensec West at the CanSec West conference in Vancouver. Um, and so what it the the gist of the article goes on to talk about. You know, Google offering up, you know, the money to anybody who would crack these things. And apparently, um, there were um, maybe some partial exploits. Uh, so, nobody was, was truly able, to, truly successful in taking down Chrome OS. Um, they did, uh, Google said right at the end, just we, we just closed out the competition. We didn't receive any winning entries, but we're evaluating some work that may qualify as partial exploits um, so before you take your pixel and just say oh that'd get that Chrome OS thing off here you might want to think again because uh, the implication is that uh, Chrome OS is pretty secure stuff um, the only browser by the way I heard this on the way home tonight the only browser that uh, did not get exploited any uh, any um, takers online or uh, opera somebody online Nope, nope. It was a very odd reason. Now the one that didn't get um, exploited was Safari.
1: But they've ex- exploited that in the past, like.
0: The reason was nobody tried. Yeah. It just wasn't worth it. Probably not. Uh, so they were the only ones that didn't get exploited, but uh, but it wasn't nobody even tried. So Chrome OS, that's. Uh, it's the way to go if you want to keep your machine secure. So as we're podcasting
1: right now, somebody's probably poning Russ and his, his Mac. <laughs> and his Mac, yeah. That's why he's not here. Or we can't hear.
2: I or, do have a question something. about the uh, the thing about this cracking hackathon that they had. Yes. Um, How long was it?
1: I had heard it was only about... I had heard somewhere that it was only like eight hours, that they had eight hours to do the exploit, but... People, I my understanding is in the past that people have developed these exploits, and then it's just how long does, you know, they walk in knowing what they're going to do. And so, the, you know, it's not like they sit down and go, let's figure this out. Uh, but I had heard it was eight hours, but I, I honestly, I can't confirm so that. So, it,
0: it was held uh, March 6th to 8th, uh, 2013. So, it's, uh, it was over a couple of days. What's that look like, the the so wednesday thursday friday okay well i i don't
2: want to you know sound like the negative nelly when it comes to chrome os and its apparent inherent security but honestly this is a day and a half really of any kind of actual hacking attempts and honestly it's going to take a while but i guarantee you the operating system is not as safe as they say they've had they've had 36 hours to beat on it give them 36 days and i guarantee you there's going to be a lot more to talk about
0: so the other thing that they um that that was pointed out in this was that um they the google released i think seven or eight patches the day before the conference so they patched every conceivable thing they could think of um and maybe patched things that people had been working on as exploits that they were going to bring with them. Because, of course, Chrome OS has been around long enough that people have been, been working at it. Um, but the fact that Google patched a bunch of stuff right before the conference um, may have been... And, and you're right, Russ, and that then would have left people not much time to come up with yet another, um, another hack on the system.
2: Yeah, and I mean... You know, give, give enough time, things are going to happen. And it's not like it isn't Chrome and Google who is reporting their own security, um, you know, their own ability to secure an operating system here. But I think we should actually go back to the root of the matter and say that Chrome OS is a piece of crap and no one should use it anyway.
0: Is that because it's not Mac? We'll get into that later, I guess.
2: And what's happening to my feed?
0: Uh, nothing as far as I can tell it sounds great
2: okay did you hear my last comment about the never mind anyway yeah,
0: don't use Chrome yeah
2: (laughs) no you can use Chrome if you want to but I think I had uh, on this very program a little diatribe about the fact that if you're gonna have a cloud-based OS don't try and make it a hybrid make it a cloud-based OS Chrome's trying to be everything to everybody and I I honestly don't think it's gonna work out and Security aside, you know, they they may it may be unhackable as far as the applications that it uses. But are those applications on Google servers or are they on the Chromebook that you buy?
0: Yeah, they were. I think there it was a very specific um, kind of um, contest, like these things commonly are. Uh, and I don't have the details of of what it was exactly that. But they checked, you know, user to user leakage, and they checked. Um, exp, you know, common exploits, that kind of, of stuff. So, um, uh, yeah, we, you would have to look at what was the actual details of, of what they were, what the contest said to find out how much this actually means. But a lot of money at stake. And so I would have expected, they, they almost always, the software goes down.
2: I suspect that because there was a lot of money at stake that Google already knew the outcome before they started and it's not like the press has ever reported anything in a biased way before.
0: Well, no, especially not ZDNet.
2: No, not at all. They're, they're as forthcoming as the onion.
0: Well, we are going to, now that we've got uh, a, a reliable Russ, we'll start calling you reliable Russ here. We're going to, uh, I think that's going to do it for the news. So um, I think we're going to move Moseon, perhaps, into our main topic for the. So as we started up uh, the podcast this time, uh, we, oh, we always do kind of a roundtable, find out what people have been doing. And of course, uh, if you're still listening and you were listening then, and I hope both those things are true, uh, you'll know that uh, Russ was having some uh, technologically gremlin challenge type things. And so uh, Russ is on the podcast tonight from uh, just fresh from his uh, fame over at uh, Linux in the Ham and uh so uh, he's going to come over and talk with us a little bit but before we do that um tell us a little bit about uh well let's see what have you been up to in the last little while since we've seen you last and uh really how does it feel to be
2: alone That was very cruel of you Rob and I would like to compliment you on your cruelty <laughs> Um, I'm sorry. But no, I'm that's no, okay. No. And the thing is, I came on here thinking, wow, I can brag about the fact that Linux and the Hamshack just had a milestone episode, our 100th. But here I am talking on Mintcast's 152nd episode. Therefore, everything I've done is rendered meaningless.
0: Uh, but as we pointed out last week, um, this is actually, I think maybe this is 101 for this team.
2: Ah, well, I also recorded the 101st, so there, we're we're in- dead indeed. even, I
0: guess. We are, we are dead even, that's right.
2: Yeah. Excellent. Well, as it happens, uh, you asked what I've been doing recently, and what I've been doing recently is coding my a** off, um, and the two things that I've been doing most are jQuery for some front-end web design, because up until maybe even six months ago, I wasn't even confident confident enough in myself to say I could do any sort of front-end web design work, but jQuery has made this possible for me. And on the back-end side, I've been coding some PHP, and I mean seriously in-depth PHP, including classes to do all manner of LDAP and MySQL queries, and even encoding uh, servers entirely in PHP. So uh, that's what ooh, I've been ooh. doing lately. So that's pretty cool. At least it's cool to me. I've, I've been enjoying it immensely.
0: I did a little bit of PHP on just this goofy little menu system that I did um, and, and got completely ensnared in it for a little while. Oh, and then I also I did some stuff on a, uh, a PHPBB um, survey application we were doing. It, it's strange stuff. Especially if you get doing all the templating um, stuff, and it's very odd language. It was fun though.
2: PHP? No, I don't think so. One one thing that I've had in the past is I've had a lot of friends of mine who consider themselves real programmers, and I have to say I consider myself a real programmer. But apparently I'm not among the elite in that group, which is fine. I I know my own skill set, and I'm comfortable with the things that I'm able to do. And I tend to program in PHP, whereas those folks tend to program in Python and Ruby. But what I will say is that PHP is more robust and more dynamic a language than I ever thought that it was in the past. I have been able to do more with it, even outside the realm of web design, than I ever really thought possible. And every day I learn something new, some functionality that it has that I didn't know about and I think the structure and the language dynamic is so easy to learn and follow that if you don't at least try to learn it there's something wrong with you but that's just me
0: yeah I I bought a book early on in in my excursion into the, the web uh, that was uh, PHP Apache MySQL Web Development and that was my first introduction to the LAMP stack and, and that whole deal and was part of learning how to do that 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 I built this um, kind of web application that used a PHP or that used PHP and it really was not a, you know, I, I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be just really painful to learn and and I was quite pleased at what you could do with it, and I, you know, I barely scratched the surface. I'm not a serious programmer, um, but I built a reasonable-sized application, and it actually worked. Um, and so that part was good. So it's not impossible to learn, but in a very powerful language. So cool. Let me let
2: me take another 20 seconds. I don't want to take up your whole episode discussing PHP. But one of the things that has been criticized most about it is its inherent security flaws. Um, but there are many aspects of the community that are devoted to creating a secure PHP environment uh, and have been for many years now. So PHP is robust and secure as any other language out there, and while the LAMP stack is very powerful for creating, you know, web design and web applications, you know, devoid of the Apache part of that, the, the ability to run PHP in a shell environment and just use it as a regular programming language has been incredibly powerful for me. And I think people should explore it when they're looking at things like Python and Ruby and Erlang and all of the other things that are also popular because I think, it's, uh, I think it's easy to learn, I think it's easy to use, and uh, it's more powerful than uh, just as part of the LAMP stack.
0: It's interesting, I'd, I'd never thought, uh, uh, and I, I don't know, people who know more about this than, than I do probably would not have, have had this blind spot, but I have never seen PHP as a language that you'd sit down and say, okay, I need to code something up, let me get my PHP out and, and run it. I, I never, and of course, that's, that's just uh, narrow-mindedness, not thinking of it as a, as a full-blown, full-blown language. Hmm, interesting, I think
2: a lot of people have that mindset, but it's actually my go to when I have to script. if it's something that doesn't isn't immediately evident to me as a bash script, the first thing I go to is p h p and I can usually whip off something inside of five minutes
0: very cool well that's interesting i um you know i I didn't know that about you that that uh you were a a programmer um Probably not surprising that I didn't know that about you. But uh, in any case, uh, that's uh, interesting to find out. Um, So uh, we were going to talk tonight about um, Ubuntu and Mint and um, that sort of stuff. Uh, Scott and I have been uh, jonesing to do a talk about Ubuntu and where in the world are they going and why are they going there and, and what's going on. And if you look at the news this week, Boy, you you can't hardly swing a cat but what you hit a story about Ubuntu or canonicals done this or there's some great controversy going um, and so that's what uh, what I thought we'd kind of throw out on the table to see uh, uh, and and I know that that you're kind of a shy retiring sort of fellow and don't don't have a lot of strong opinions about really hardly anything but uh, maybe just as a as a special favor to us you can kind of try and, and offer up some opinions on uh on ubuntu so let me think let me see if i can think of uh of a decent lead in well uh i'll tell you what let's start from where we begin where where we are right now so we're both sitting here on linux boxes and uh you you took your linux box out in the backyard and shot it and uh and buried it and are are on a mac now so uh, is linux in trouble is ubuntu leading us off off the cliff with all their craziness or what the heck do you think is going on here
2: oh if you're asking me i don't think ubuntu is leading us anywhere at least from my perspective i think ubuntu has every right and every desire and every inclination to do its own thing and become its own project and has since the very beginning of ubuntu and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i believe that i can leverage the openness and the diversity in the community to do what i have done which is basically install debian and that's where i believe the power in all of this is the the freedom the freedom to be able to look at the source code to manipulate the software in any way you see fit and to be unencumbered from things like software patents is a wonderful thing and the greatest part of it for me is to be able to look at Ubuntu think it's total crap and never use it in my entire lifetime at least since I've made that determination and uh, that to me is the best part of Ubuntu
0: so is uh, let's go around that a little bit. So is the the attraction of Debian is purely the... So you're making a freedom decision, not a functionality decision. You're not picking Debian because you think it works better, but it's free.
2: I actually am picking Debian because I think it it works better. I I think Ubuntu has its place, and I think a lot of people enjoy it. And I think a lot of people find that it works adequately or maybe even better than adequately in their environment. But Ubuntu has focused on the Unity desktop, which doesn't work for me. And they have focused on a, um, not a strictly pay model, but they are focused on an adware sort of model, which also doesn't work for me. And I have been a long term Debian supporter. I think it works well. I think it runs on all of the machines I needed to run on, and I'm very familiar with it. And maybe that creates a bias, but that's okay because it does what I need it to. And everybody, I think, sticks with the distribution they stick with unless they're a distro hopper because they have a particular bias towards a certain distribution. But one thing I think most people forget about Debian. And I'm talking about Root Debian. This is the stuff that started way back around, you know, when SLS split off into Slackware and Debian. One of the things that Debian has that a lot of distributions do not is architecture support. You can run Debian on an S390 box or an IA64. A lot of people don't even know what these things are but Debian will run on them. You can run them on risk processors on power PCs. You try and run Ubuntu on any of these things, you're going to have a difficult time of it.
0: So do you think Debian is a hobbyist distribution then? Or, and because you look at what Ubuntu is doing and the, the thing that is creating all of the kerfuffle um, is sort of exactly what you're, you're talking about that. You know, they they introduced Unity, and everybody said, "I don't like Unity." And Ubuntu said, "That's really unfortunate. We're going to keep it anyway." And now they're they're rolling out a phone, and people are saying, "Well, I don't want a phone. I just I got my computer. What do I need a phone for?" And, and then they're going to uh, they're going to jump on Mirror as, instead of and and people are saying, "Well, I don't want you to do that. I like I like the the X work stuff and and." You know, so people complain about Canonical because, and and we've got a, a link in our show notes about um, Ubuntu is not a community distribution. Um, is one of the the uh, articles that come out from um, linuxbsdos.com dot that uh, accusing uh, Canonical of not being, you know, responsive to the community. And and what you said right at the beginning is is I think right on, and that is Canonical is. A company, and they're running their commercial agenda, and that's okay. Companies do that, and they're allowed to do that. Um, I think people looked at Ubuntu and thought, "Oh, here's a a modern, progressive community edition." And you got guys like John O'Bacon, he's the community manager, and so they're building this notion of community. But are they? Is that what they are, or are they? You know, are they building? a phone and tablet OS because that's where the money is.
2: I I think Ubuntu is following the money. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think that's why they're able to pay somebody like John O'Bacon to do nothing but advocacy for their operating system. But honestly, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. They want to focus on the hardware that they believe is up and coming and that is going to take the computing population into the future. And if they see that as the way to go, then by all means, they should exploit it in whatever way they feel possible or, you know, feel is, is the way forward. And are they a community distribution? Yes, they are a canonical community distribution. Are they an open source community distribution? Not really, because I think if you look at their upstream contribution profile, it's pretty weak and uh compared to what other developers do and give back to you know the open source and i shouldn't use open source uh as they give back to the free software community in general uh canonical is a very small piece of that pie i mean even red hat which is another commercial distribution gives back much more to the free software community than canonical does so they don't give back much they're a community of their own and if you wish to partake of that community then absolutely you should do that but you shouldn't feel like you're sitting in the heart of the free software community because ubuntu is kind of its own entity and you have to take it for what it is
1: so i think part of the problem that a lot of people have with That with the idea of the the Ubuntu community and what what it really means is that it was marketed as one thing. It 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 was considered more of a there was more of a a community spirit to it, and and the community was more involved in the decisions that were made up until a certain point. And that point seems to be about the time where they shifted the you know minimize, maximize, and close buttons from the left to the or from the right to the left. And then a number of decisions followed on from that, including Unity and uh, things along those lines. And what you know, I saw, I read something the other day where somebody had compared, said that, and I think you basically just said the same thing, Russ, is that they compared them. The community, the Ubuntu community is is a community in the sense that the Windows community is a community. Yeah, there's a community of people who use the software. There's a community of of developers who are developing for the software. Uh, and then there's the canonical folks who are, are in active development, but there's not a, it's not there's not a community that's involved in the decision making process as to what what direction the distro is going to take, what um, you know where where the uh, the focus is going to be, and I think that's where you know the the big kerfuffle is as Rob described it this week. A lot of it is that 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 is really coming to light with people who have been lifelong or not lifelong, but have been longtime contributors to to Ubuntu and to uh, that distro and to making it better. Uh, um, particularly developers, we're hearing uh, there's a number of stories. We have a bunch of links in our show notes that, to stories um, that from people who have been who've been involved with Canonical and with Ubuntu for a long time now who are walking away because they really feel like. They're, they're being they're not being respected, they're not being listened to they're not being uh, their voices aren't heard they're not involved in the decision-making prob- process and And for people like um, the gentleman, I think is uh, Sam Spiller, I think his name is who's with the uh, uh, been the main con- uh, contributor to Compass, uh, he is um, feeling like the work that he's been putting in. so as you know, unity was built on um, GTK. Uh, and some GNOME bits and and Compass. and now that uh, part of this whole Mir uh, announcement was the fact that they're going to rewrite Unity in Qt and QML, and Compiz is out. And he nobody ever talked to him about this. He's been working for the last four months to put together patches and um, uh, some other stuff around Compiz to improve performance and and stability. And his his uh, stuff is not going to be accepted upstream. It's not going to be accepted by Canonical. It's not going to be incorporated in any way into uh, into Ubuntu. And he's feeling like you know I just you you guys just basically pulled the rug out from under me, and I've been sitting here working you know on this for a long time. And it really feels like, um, yeah, Canonical is. They're certainly as you said. They're certainly within their rights to to run their company like a company. But they to masquerade as an open source community, an open source project, um, you know, as part of the, the, you know, to follow the ethos of, of the, the Floss community, um, that to me, that's where I, I start to have heartburn with these guys. And, um, you know, sort of calling, you know, and there's a number of different things we can point to, uh, you know, the, calling the kernel, the, the Ubuntu kernel, um, you know uh, stuff like this with the with Compiz, the with Ubuntu Phone, when um, they basically gave no credit to the Cyanogen mod people who are they're they're taking they're building on top of their product. They come out with Ubuntu Phone and they don't even mention the fact anywhere that that's where that's where they're um, they're starting from. That's the foundation they're starting from. They don't give those guys any credit. Uh, and and just sort of talk about oh we're developing this this you know awesome interface so that that's where i start to have in, uh have heartburn with it and that's where it seems like um, in and and you guys longtime listeners of the show will will recognize i've said i said months ago maybe even a year ago that Ubuntu was not a community distro that it's that it's a it's a commercial you know it's a it's a co- it's a corporate distro that has a community around it based on what they've been able to do for the past few years so uh and it seems like that's that's what we're starting to hear more and more as this thing has become public, as, as, um, you know, as Shuttleworth has posted, as we've heard from longtime contributors to the project, and uh, you know as sort of it starts the, the back and forth.
2: Well, I will say that it's Ubuntu started out as a community distribution, a free software community distribution they would send out hundreds of free discs if you merely asked for them but i will also say that mark shuttleworth is not an idiot he sold verisign for how many billion dollars and became the uber wealthy you know magnate that he's become he is clearly interested in the business side of things that's where he came from that's what he does and as soon as Mark Shuttleworth started talking about the fact that he wanted to recoup some of the costs associated with keeping up a distribution like Ubuntu, that's when basically the penny dropped. And that's when people started, should have started thinking, hmm, maybe things are going to start in a different direction. And it followed suit that things started in a different direction and it really was not hidden, it was not an agenda, it was out there for everyone to see. And once we got past Ubuntu version, I wanna say seven, maybe eight, and everything about the distribution started to change. If you didn't stop and read a few articles and look at what Shuttleworth said, and decide for yourself where the ubuntu distribution thought it might be headed in the future um i think you were just kidding yourself really i I think the direction they planned to take was out there for everyone to see uh the idea of taking something giving it free getting everybody hooked and then starting to charge for it is not a new business model uh crack dealers do it every day on the streets of new york city and i think it was plain as day and you just had to notice and if you want to go that direction that's fine you can drink kool-aid if you like and canonical was in no way shady about what they did you just have to know what they're doing what the rest of the community is doing and make the decision which side you want to be on. That's all there is to it. So one
0: of the things that attracted me to to Ubuntu in the first place, because I had been uh, running Red Hat, I think I ran Red Hat 9, whatever the last public release was, um, and then I dabbled around and bounced over onto um, several other distros. I'd I'd tried what was in Mandrake, and I tried OpenSUSE, and, and I had issues with them all you'd install it and you know it would sort of 80 percent work uh, and then ubuntu came along and and i think i tried in the four or five region somewhere um, is what i remember that may not be right but anyway it's, it was in that vicinity and i remember clear as anything installing it and the whole installation everything just worked exactly right i didn't have any trouble all my hardware worked it recognized everything and I thought, wow, this is just astounding because you know none of the others would, distros would do that. There was always a whole raft of fiddling you had to do afterwards. Red Hat didn't do it. Um, Debian, I looked at very briefly in those days and it was like, nah, this is just way too hard because you had to do all this extra stuff just to make it useful. And so Ubuntu was the first distro that came along, I think, that introduced the Linux world to um what was a a real easy to use works all the time kind of distro and so maybe you're right maybe that was just the the gateway drug if you will into the to the canonical world that they were going to try that they were going to drag everybody in but i think they have dragged the rest of the linux world along that path quite a long ways as well and because now we have things like mint and even Debian itself, when you go and do a Debian install now, uh, lots and lots of stuff just works right out of the box, um, as much as it does perhaps with, it, with any other modern distro now. But Debian wasn't there when before Ubuntu came along, and it, in a lot of ways, I think Ubuntu pushed the whole Linux world into this, let's make it easier to use kind of world
2: no i i think you're you're sort of right about that but i look at it in this way i go back to the you know the gentleman with the long trench coat on the back in the back alley in new york and i say well if he gives you a free sample of your crack and you go home and try it and it doesn't do anything for you well you're certainly not going to come back and try something else so you've got to make it you've got to make it appealing whatever that is and that doesn't mean that you don't put out hard work and you don't put out a product that does what it says it does and that doesn't mean that other members of the community don't realize that hey there's some really good things that came out of this project regardless of the motivation and they say well this is maybe where things should be and we're going to implement this in our own project and uh perhaps that's what debian and Mandrake and any of the other distributions also did. It's, you know, Just because something has a negative motivation, perhaps, doesn't mean that something good can't come out of it.
0: So let's, uh, let me ask another question. Um, one of the things that, uh, of course, Ubuntu is a, a distro that is, or was, uh, derived from Debian, that's, that's where they start from. Um, And in the same way, Mint uh, is a distro that is based on Ubuntu. So, um, you know, so here goes Ubuntu off into the tablet phone commercial world. So where does that leave Mint? You know, so I guess they can just sort of keep the stuff they got. Um, I don't think the Mint team is big enough to keep the whole distro moving forward without the Ubuntu base. Um, they've made a foray over into a Debian support or a Debian-based distro that has some some advantages to it. I've run it for a long time. Um, so what ha- what happens to Mint? You know, Clem seems to to be saying that. Well, you know, we're just going to continue on. We're not going to jump on on. And the one thing, that, the one article we've got here says Mint is not in the business of picking winners. So we're going to continue on with Xorg. We're not going to, you know, Mirror is mostly um, irrelevant, is what uh, Clem's comment was uh, about the Ubuntu stuff. He, we're just going to go on in our direction. How realistic do you think that is? If Ubuntu goes off into this weird world whether commercial distro, does Mint then have to go to Debian as a base?
2: Well, I can maybe let Scott talk on this a little bit more, but I think my answer to that is a short one and that the Debian version of Linux Mint is their foray into a backup plan. Basically, it's the plan B. When Ubuntu goes in a direction that Mint can no longer follow, they can back up and say, well, we've got this other version. Let's go ahead and start working on that.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Russ. I and mean, we've talked about this a lot. We talked about it when when Linux Mint Debian Edition first came out, and was that the direction they're going? And I think we'll we'll have a link in the show notes to um, an interview that Muckedware did with Clem, where he sort of talks about basically what you just said in not so many words. The the idea that they will they'll evaluate and they'll continue to move forward with uh Ubuntu is the base for the mainline edition. They'll continue to put out the Debian edition and if it, there comes a time where there you know and the question was basically phrased around mirror and we haven't talked a whole lot about mirror yet uh tonight um but the question was around mirror and would would um, mint follow Ubuntu with the mirror uh display uh server and, you know, Clem said, if, if, it, if there comes a time where we can't, you know, our focus is on putting out a better version of Mint than the last version we released. And specifically, we're looking to make 15 better than 14. And at some point, if, if MIR does not or whatever where the, that base package comes down from, from Ubuntu doesn't allow them to do that, that's where you may see them move over to uh, a purely a Debian-based uh, distribution um, you know the the headline, the catchphrase was, you know, that Mint is at Mint they're not in the in the business of picking winners. And you know, is it is it Wayland? Is it Mir? Is it Xorg? What is it? They're they're just going to continue to try and put out a distro that's better than the last one. And yes, Ubuntu is the base for that distro at this point in time. I think it's going to be a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of time before that. You know, before that happens, I think. You know, again, we, we haven't really talked about Mir, but I don't think you're going to see Mir on anything um, in any usable fashion for at least a year. So now we're talking 1404 uh, Ubuntu 1404, maybe the earliest time you're going to see it. And my feeling would be that it's probably there's they're probably going to have to have um, Xorg available. Be it's probably going to have to be something that you can run because it's not going to have all that functionality. If you think about how long Whalen's been around and where it's at now, granted, uh focused development effort could probably push Mir further than Whalen has made it in the past three, four years. But, uh, you know, that remains to be seen. I think it's a, it's a huge task. And um, where it leaves Mint is, is exactly, you know, as we've just said. I think that, you know, Clem is always, he seems always to be evaluating what his options are out there and if you look at them now, if you if you boot up Mint 14, uh, the mainline edition, so we're talking Cinnamon, versus um, Ubuntu 1304, well, no, it wouldn't be 1304, it would be 1210, and, and their um, default desktop Unity, they don't look anything alike, they don't behave anything alike. You wouldn't think that they had similar roots. So I think already we're seeing the Mint team carry... A fair chunk you know there's such a differentiation now between those two i think they can carry that for a while where where they're going to be in five years i have no idea i would i would be surprised i i wouldn't be surprised if if ubuntu you know based on, on what we've been talking about and this idea that they're really starting to pursue the commercial ventures and the and the commercial side of things i wouldn't be surprised if they don't have a desktop edition in five years you know, because where, where's, where do they generate revenue out of the desktop edition? You know, but they could probably generate revenue out of a, of tablet and a phone edition. And if they could sell the TV piece to, to manufacturers, to OEMs, then, you know, maybe, maybe they're making revenue there. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't have a, de- uh, you know, it, cause it really, based on what you're, what you're saying, Russ, and I was sort of thinking this through, it really seems like Linux was a means to an end. Um, for, for Canonical and for Shuttleworth, and, and once that's been satisfied, um, then they move somewhere else where they can start to actually turn a profit.
0: So, so they really see their competition as being Android, not Linux.
1: Oh, absolutely. Android, really iOS, I think is more is more who they see their competition as. And I think it's been that way for a while. I think that piece of it's been pretty obvious for, for quite a while. And I think what I think what they're doing too is is you know I was trying to think of it is there a precedent for this in in the open source community? And there's been different um, entities that have been tried to turn a buck, uh, you know, by f- running this this same type of route with the distribution. So what like Lindos or or things like that, but um, they haven't been they haven't had the the following that Ubuntu has had. And I think that's part of the reason, you know, I think I mentioned it when Unity came out, I was, my biggest concern about around Unity was the fact that, not that I had to use it, you know, Russ has said, you started out by saying, you don't have to use this stuff if you don't want. And that's that's the beauty, that's the, you know, that's all I got to say about it, really. That's the beauty of open source. Um, but my, my concern around Unity was that this is the number one, Linux distro in terms of popularity, it's the one that has the most penetration outside of the bubble of you know uh, open source the open source community. Um, and now they're going from a fully functional GNOME to desktop that people knew how to use, that had a paradigm to it that people understood, to um, you know what what at the time was described as like a Fisher Price interface, and and you know this was. This was going to reflect, in my mind, it was going to reflect poorly on on Linux in general. And when people came in and tried to use Ubuntu and decided they didn't like it, they were going to turn away from Linux in general and just say, you know, I tried that. It was garbage. You know, they had some crap interface. Uh, that was my concern at the time. And it's it still, I, I think that concern still holds true because, again, penetration into the mainstream media, into the mainstream thinking, the mainstream computing world that Ubuntu has, you probably heard it said that there are people who think that Ubuntu is Linux, Linux is Ubuntu, they're the same thing, Um, and that's all that Linux is, Uh, and so if they fail, if they they put out, you know, more crap products or they fail to deliver in, in general, you know, a la Ubuntu TV... Is this a reflection on Linux again? and, and is this you know, is this just more ammunition for people to beat up on on Linux and um, you know sort of drag it down?
0: Well, so maybe the best thing that could happen is that um, Ubuntu does start to call it Ubuntu. And then just like most people um, don't know that Android is really Linux, people will cease to understand that Ubuntu is even Linux it will be Ubuntu and then we can go back to the rest of us can go back to being Linux again or perhaps gnu Linux I'm not sure we want to get into all that uh, Russ
2: no probably not but one thing I will say is that I'm in in terms of Android I am really glad that Google pushes the Android brand because I think they're creating a dichotomy between Android and Linux. And if it has to come down to a war of words, I am hoping that what Google calls their operating system becomes Android and that Linux remains what it is, which is Linux. And the I'm going to have to disagree a little bit with Scott about Ubuntu becoming sort of what Linux is because honestly, if that ever really happens, you'll find me swinging from a creaking rope out in the middle of the plains somewhere. <laughs> um, because I, you know, I will. I personally will never believe that Ubuntu is becoming what Linux is, and I don't think that anyone who is who has any kind of discerning, you know, nature in the community would ever think that Ubuntu is what Linux has become, even even people who are new to it, even people who are introduced are introduced by those people who are sort of in the know or they come to it because they're interested and they learn for themselves. And I really hope that Linux and Ubuntu never become synonymous because that will be the end of my world.
0: So that's, uh... We're going to have to, to wind our discussion up here. We're we're running short on time, so I'll give you uh, give you each a chance. Uh, Scott, parting words on this thought before
1: we move on. Um, I think we're going to hear more uh, fallout before it comes comes back around, but I think we're already seeing the pendulum swing back. I think a lot of the early the early word was um really anti-canonical anti uh ubuntu and and really down on where they're going and what you know particularly in this a lot of this came out with the MIR uh announcement but i think now we're starting to see the swing back to people taking the position that uh you know this is a this is a business decision uh this may be very beneficial if if they're able to create a display server in in mirror that is uh is a high quality product and makes it, you know, this could be their lasting contribution to the open source world. Uh, as you know, we know X has been around for 20 plus years. If, you know, if Mirrors is all that, you know, could be could be their contribution. So obviously these things develop very, very slowly. I think we've got a lot of motion, a lot of noise right now. Uh, it'll die down and then it'll be a question of, will they be able to start to deliver on their promises? Ubuntu TV, as I mentioned earlier, we haven't seen one yet, but you can already get the developer previews for the for Ubuntu Touch or Ubuntu Phone, uh, and they're supposed to be shipping in October. So, I think it'll be interesting to see how that goes and what that means. You know, we haven't even talked about this move to rolling releases that now has really picked up some steam and. I heard somewhere where somebody said there's an error of inevitability about it now it's not a question of when it's a or a question of if it's a question of when is it is it 1310 is it when is when are they going to make that switch so it'll be interesting to see um, what, what Canonical does and how they stay in the news, because they're really making a push to stay in the news with the phone announcement, with the tablet announcement, with the mirror announcement. So what, what do we hear in the next four, six, eight weeks? So uh, it, it certainly makes it interesting, and it makes for us uh, to have something to talk about. And as, as Russ says, I, and I've told you guys before, I don't run it because I, I just can't, I can't abide. I just don't like it. Um, and you know we'll keep running the stuff that makes us happy.
0: Final thoughts, Russ, what do you think?
2: I'm not sure it's even possible to put any real final thoughts on the dichotomy between Ubuntu and the mainstream uh, free software community because Ubuntu came out of free software, there's no question about that. And I think the direction they've taken is to become a more proprietary enterprise, a more commercial enterprise but I believe they're they think they're doing it in an altruistic manner I believe they think they're advancing the state of the art in their distribution uh, by coming up with their own new projects by creating Ubuntu by creating Mirror by borrowing from Wayland and from all of the other projects that exist out there and do wonderful things for for those of us who enjoy free software and all the things it provides but i think it all comes back to choice it all comes back to the to the ability of the user as a person as a free thinking human being to pick the thing that works best for them and to use it in whatever way makes them the happiest and the most productive and no matter what happens in in the realm of any of the distributions that are out there of in in any of the the thoughts of the people who develop the software i believe the important thing the most important thing is the choice and the fact that we have the choice to do what we do and to do it the way we want to uh supersedes all else and i and i just hope it continues that way
0: well, I think that's a great way to kind of close out our discussion, Russ, because I think you, you hit right at the heart of uh, why we do this podcast and why we run this operating system. And one of the real strengths of, of Linux is this this sense that there are many different ways to do things and we're not ever going to all agree. And so everybody gets to just pick the way that, that works best for them. So I think... Uh, well, I'm I'm pleased that we've we've resolved this this issue with Ubuntu, though, and that we figured out what the answer is, and that people can now uh, rest easily in their beds, knowing that that we've we've put this uh, put this to rest and solved this little conundrum. So, that's really good. And with with that, then I think uh, we got to be getting really close to the time when we talk about feedback.
1: So our first comment comes from friend of the show and uh, occasional host, Jalu, who wrote in about uh, Solid XK and said, uh, with the announcement of a stable release of this new KDE distro, I am very anxious to get it installed on my laptop. So far, my testing indicates that Solid XK will, will replace Linux Mint 13 KDE as the first partition on my dual boot hard drive, with Chakra Linux being the second. So I hope uh, all you guys out in the stream there took a drink when I mentioned Solid XK now three times. Of so. course.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah, It's been come up in the chat,
1: too. I'm beginning to be a little tipsy here. Yeah, There you go. Uh, so uh, Robert also wrote in and said, I thought your interview with Schuja was very well done. I downloaded Solid XK, which is the XFCE version, or Solid X, I'm sorry, which is the XFCE <laughs> version, and tried it as a live USB. It was stable on my hardware, but it does have a large footprint, 932 megabytes, without offering anything more than other XFCE distros. It will be interesting to see how the distribution fares on the distro watch list. One security concern about it, though, it has Java plugin Ice-T enabled in Firefox recent security advice says ice tea should be disabled
0: interesting well this feedback will go directly into the salted Xk uh, development team because I see uh, CWW gateway there in the in the IRC so I'm sure he's uh, listening and and we'll get that uh, get right on that I imagine uh, next feedback comes in from merely Jim our good buddy Uh, writes in on Chromebooks. I just got mine last week, a Samsung for $250, as a semi-replacement for my three-year-old netbook. With all the UEFI nonsense that's been going on, Google may offer the only place to get an unfettered piece of hardware, seeing how the manufacturers see the Linux community as a very small chunk of the overall market, and we're the only ones complaining. Uh, It makes good sense for Google to produce hardware, the Nexus line of phones and tablets, as well as Chromebooks. Uh, that's easily hackable. Google depends on an open platform and a free internet compared with Apple, to Apple with Safari or Microsoft with Bing. Uh, there's a pretty extensive history for Google pushing for greater computer literacy, and I don't mean using a word processor. Google Labs, Summer of Code, giving away a bunch of Raspberry Pis in the UK, etc. I think Chrome OS was meant to be a starter system until the user feels comfortable enough to install a real version of Linux. Uh, Google using an an in-house version of Linux may be the worst-kept secret in the industry. Uh, the Pixel isn't meant to be a machine for the masses. It, it's an example of what can but isn't being done in the industry. Uh, the Acer is essentially my three-year-old netbook with an extra gigabyte of RAM, easily overwritten with any i686 distro and a great place to start. The Samsung is where the real action is going to take place. Lightweight, running an ARM processor, long battery life, This is where you're going to see the first merging of Android and Chrome OS. As always, enjoy the show, keep up the good work, and Gromp's Garage needs revisiting, Jim. And then he says, P.S., Bodhi Linux has an ARM version that I'm looking into. And he gives a link there, and this is coming off the web, so you guys can go check, uh, check his notes on the web. So Brian Aykroyd also wrote in on the same commented on the same link, uh, saying that he says, I was interested to hear about the notify send command. However, when I tried it out, it didn't perform on Ubuntu 1204 with a gnome three desktop. As I expected. I could alter the time from 500 milliseconds to 15,000 milliseconds. And it made no difference in the time that the notification appeared, which in both cases was about five seconds. I also tried, uh, double dash expire time equals instead of dash T as shown in the manual, but that performed no differently. In essence, the time option makes no difference at all, whether it's included or not in the command syntax. The reason why your test appeared to work, of course, is that you chose to try it with a time of five seconds. Great show, as usual. Thanks. So I saw this on there and replied. I thought, oh, this is interesting. So let me go, you know, and, and not being a, a mental giant when it comes to these things, I referred to my auxiliary brain and I Googled it. And I found uh, a post on the Arch Linux board um, and and I posted the link in my reply and apparently in that what I gathered from that that there's a long-standing bug someplace in the system, and and maybe not even a bug. I'm I'm not even sure of that. But the, uh, in any case, the expire time parameter just gets ignored. Um, it works uh, on Arch, but it's because they're using a, a different back end. Apparently, what um, what the uh, the notify send command does is it parcels off the request to notification to a back-end someplace, and it's that back-end that is not uh, paying any attention to the time-delay command. So uh, there's uh, the Arch guys were saying, well, there's a, an XFC library that fixes this. You can uh, you can you can inst- replace the existing library with this one, and then it'll work. Well, so my Mint 13 XFC box has that problem. So I'm not quite sure what the fix is, but I th- thought it was interesting. It, it speaks to... Uh, testing, you got to test carefully because you test it with five seconds. It works fine.
1: Yeah. It worked fine for me. I don't know what the complaint is. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Nathan, uh, lit wrote in, I probably just butchered his last name, but he wrote in and asked, uh, would it be easier to just use KX studio for podcasting rather than getting mint set up like KX studio? I have heard, I heard the KX
0: myself. That question. I
1: have heard right. of KX studio from the open source musicians podcast. If it works so well, I find it interesting that no references is made to it on DistroWatch. I don't know if there is a way of promoting it on DistroWatch so that there could be a better comparison to other distros such as Ubuntu Studio. It sounds like it would be cool if someone was to set up an offshoot of Linux Mint that feature, with the features of KX Studio. I would like to hear your opinion. Thanks, Nathan. And, you know, I thought about that, but one of the reasons I didn't go that route is the, the ISOs that the KX Studio people offer are built on uh, Ubuntu bases. And so you can go that route. You can just go ahead and install that. Why they're not popular, I have no idea. This, this guy, um, uh, Falk TX, as I spoke of during the, po- the podcasting episode, this guy is, just does some amazing work and uh, really is, is involved in, in really contributing why they're not more popular those isos i don't know i don't know if he's marketing them as as kx studio as a you know the kx studio distro or if it's just he markets it as ubuntu with the kx studio uh add-ins but whatever the case um you know what you're asking in terms of uh the offshoot of linux Mint is sort of what we did i won't be you know spinning this out uh for anybody (laughs) but um you know I, you, I guess somebody could I don't see why they why they couldn't do that
0: yeah it certainly was was pretty straightforward to take a mint 13 um, Xfce box and uh, point at the cake studio uh, repos and then pull in the features that you needed into to mint and I guess one of the thoughts that I had around that is that I like the mint world and so you know that's where i've come to feel comfortable and so the the advantage of a mint 13 box with cake studio on it is you get Mint menu i get kind of all the stuff that i'm familiar with that goes along with the mint distro um that i think is is uh, largely missing on on kx studio so yep anyway interesting thought though uh so our final uh, note from uh the Etherwebs comes from the google plus community uh, Where, by the way, we continue to be way ahead of the um, going Linux guys. So I'm pleased to get all your friends to sign up, have your parents all sign up. Um, we do not, one of these days, uh, Larry and, and Tom and Bill are going to wake up and notice that we're ahead and then it'll be all over. So we got to stay, we got to get a buffer there guys. Anyway, so the Google Plus, Jonathan NATO wrote in to remind us that whether you're new to free software or a seasoned veteran, the Northeast GNU Linux Fest is for you. We have speakers and classes to meet your needs. We'll have talks from such people as John Sullivan of the Free Software Foundation, and this year we're honored to have John Mad Dog Hall give the keynote. Join us at Historical Harvard University for the third annual Northeast Linux Fest on March 16th, 17th, 2013. So... Um, and he gives the link there. Let's see, March. Uh, well, yeah. If if you're listening to the recorded version of this podcast, you best climb in the car and head for Harvard because it's going on right now as you're listening to it. So uh, there we go. So um, let's see. Uh, let's see the bo- website for this week. That's where we're going to go. Okay, website for this week. Well. You know, there there really isn't any choice, really. You got to head on over to Linux and the the into the uh, Linux in the Hamshack, uh website, and that is lhspodcast.info. Uh, so there's, uh, I have to say at this point, there's a a pile of stuff on the lhs podcast uh, website that is really fundamentally different than what you'll find on. For example, the Mintcast website, which is mostly we post our episodes and a couple of vanity pieces about who we are and why you should care. You head on over there to uh, LHS Podcast Info, and there's a bunch of extra stuff. So, uh, yeah, they, they got stuff besides you can re- read stuff that they wrote. Like And there's stuff more than just the podcast on there. So, yeah, you all need to head on over and, and go visit Russ a little bit. Uh and see what they have to say. Um, let's see. Tip. You got a tip, Scott? I don't have a tip. I, uh, tip I do is... not. I'm
1: working on one right now, but it wasn't ready. Not ready. The tip
0: not ready. Uh, I did do something clever this week, but I forgot what it was now, so it's gone. So, And we did our podcast announcement already. Uh, I guess the other announcement is that this uh, live stream is the first half of a double header, so we'll shamelessly plug... <clears throat> the second half um, and since I have no idea what the second half is going to be about Russ, if you're still uh, around and, uh, and able to speak into the microphone, uh, why don't you tell us about the second half of the double header?
2: Okay. Well, the second half of this double header will be happening tomorrow night, which means if you're listening to this as the released version of midcast, you will already have missed it. But uh, if you're in the live listening mode right now or in the chat room, you will have not missed it. And uh, on Tuesday, that would be tomorrow, uh, the something of March. What day is it today? I, I've totally It'll cried. be the 12th tomorrow. All right. On the 12th of March, <laughs> um, we're going to do a thing where it's kind of like an exchange program for weary podcasters where rob and scott are going to come on and be guest hosts on linux in the ham shack except scott has already told me that he's going to bail in favor of like his family or something i mean Uh, come on
1: you you, you you get a rain check you can pull me in now that i know that you're the the weary lone traveler trudging the the podcast road on a solo mission to bring information to all those listeners Uh,
0: this is this is really getting deep this is getting russ i'll i I owe you
1: one i will come on i will if it if it wasn't you know what can i do (laughs) what what can i do
2: (laughs) all right well I'll, i'll give you a break this time we'll we'll have rob on tomorrow anyway and uh it'll be it'll be the canadian who now lives in houston and the new englander who now lives in arkansas uh, talking about Linux and open source, and probably some ham radio thrown in there. And it will be just as entertaining as what you've just listened to. It'll be a hell of a lot of fun. Go to lhspodcast.info for the information. There'll also be some stuff posted on Google Plus and over on Facebook and all that stuff. And I hope everyone will join us for the live broadcast. And if not, you'll hear it on the released version. So. Uh, I think I think that's all we need to say about that.
0: All right. I think uh, we've run out of useful stuff to say. No, wait. Actually, we ran out of useful stuff to say quite a ways back. And, and yeah, Russ, is there an IRC? Yeah, you, that'll be on. Yeah, get on to um, Freenode, and it's uh, hash LHS podcast. Uh, and I think you're on Freenode, right? Is that right, Russ?
2: That is correct. We are on Freenode at Octothorpe lhs po- lhs podcast i think i my, my fingers slipped off the button there
0: you can Thorpe your own octo i'm not gonna be doing that
2: well that was episode 98 i know i know <laughs> all right you guys carry on you you have a you have a show to do here i think um when i'm not sitting on a microphone derailing it so <laughs> maybe you want to uh go ahead and uh, and end this this bad boy
0: yep I think we need. I think it's time to take this one out in the backyard and shoot it so I think that's going to about do it and so I'll call on producer Scott to send us out with the
1: outro yep thanks for listening this has been another episode of Midcast the show notes for this episode are at www.midcast.org you can send us email at midcast at mincast.org or leave voicemail at plus one eight three two five one four two two seven eight. That's eight three two five one four cast. You can find more information on Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Midcast and Linux Mint on Twitter at midcast and at Linux underscore mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco and Oscar for the podcast music, and thanks for listening to this episode of MidCast.